Thank you, Sean. And once again, thank you all for joining us for our online worship service. Uh, today, we're in part three of our message series called An Introduction to God. And as the name of this series suggests, our goal in this series has been to introduce you to God, uh, specifically to the God that we, the people of Hope Community Church, believe in, serve, and worship. Uh, last week in the message, I mentioned something that is really vital uh, when it comes to understanding who God is and what God is all about. Um, when we look to the sacred texts, when we look to the Bible, we discover that God refers to himself as our Father, as our Heavenly Father, as our perfect Father. Uh, this is important because this shows us what kind of a relationship that God desires to have with us. He wants to be our Father. He wants us to see Him as our perfect Father. He wants us to see ourselves as His children. Now, one of the things that we all have in common is that we all have dads. Uh, and as, as you all know, um, not all dads out there are great dads. In fact, some are pretty lousy. Uh, but some of us we're blessed to have to have great fathers. Um, I had a great dad, and just a few days ago, I was reminded of a story, a little interaction that took place between my dad and I. Um, this is kind of an embarrassing story, but I'm gonna go ahead and tell it anyway. Um, let's just keep this between the two of us, okay? Um, I was about 11 years old when this took place, and I got in trouble, I did something wrong, don't ask me what, I don't remember. Uh, got in trouble, was punished, was sent to my room. I was angry about the punishment. I was angry about being sent to my room. And so in my anger, I did something stupid and I broke something, okay? I had this little shelving unit in my room, this cheapo particle board thing. And uh, in my anger, I kicked this thing and I broke one of the shelves. And it was one of those moments of instant regret. It's like, why did I do this? This was so stupid. So I kick this thing because I'm angry. I break this thing, it makes a loud noise. And my dad, he is in the living room and he hears this noise. And so he comes into my room and he sees what I've done. And so he was initially angry with me for my bad behavior. And now he's angry at me because I've broken this thing. And he walks over to what was left of the shelving unit and he just pulls an incredible hulk on the thing and he smashes it. And then he turns to me and he says, is that what you were trying to do? And then he leaves the room, all right? And it was one of those things that was, it was so absurd that it was almost funny at the time, not quite, but it was almost funny at the time. But in that moment, because of that little interaction, there was now a bit of brokenness in my relationship with my dad. A little bit, well, maybe not brokenness, a little tiny fracture, okay? A little bit of a strain in my relationship with my dad. And so I'm in my room and I'm picking up the pieces to this thing and a few minutes go by. I'm telling you it was less than five minutes and there was a knock at my door and uh, it's my dad and he lets himself in and he joins me on the floor and he starts helping me pick up the pieces to this thing and he turns to me and he says, I guess we were both acting pretty stupid, weren't we? And he laughs about it and then I laugh about it. And then he apologizes, which gives me an opportunity to apologize. And in that moment, that cheapo shelving unit was destroyed, but my relationship with my dad was restored. It was mended, it was put back together again. 
And that little tiny fracture in our relationship was, was fixed. We were now back to where we belonged. You've had experiences like that, right? Where something happens in a relationship, uh, there's some kind of fight or some kind of argument or somebody's been wronged and, and maybe it's one person's fault, maybe it's both parties' fault. Um, could happen between you know, two friends or family members or a husband and a wife and you, you have some kind of tension, some kind of friction with a person that you love, somebody you care about, a relationship that matters to you. And when you find yourself in that state, uh, experiencing a, a brokenness in a relationship that matters to you, you want to resolve that conflict. You want to fix that brokenness as soon as possible. I mean, what's that standard advice that, that all of us married couples are given? It's don't go to bed angry, right? If you have some kind of issue, resolve it as quickly as you can. And, and the logic behind that is if you love someone, you want to get past that time of conflict, okay? Because that's no fun and that's no good. You don't want to let that go on. You don't want that to continue. You want to work through that conflict and get your relationship back on track. That's the idea. And what we learn about God is that when there is conflict in our relationship with God, he wants to see that resolved so we can move forward together in our relationship. When Jesus was on the earth, he carried this enormous burden on his shoulders. And one of the, the things that Jesus had to do is he had to communicate the reality of God the Father to us, to us limited finite human beings. And so here's Jesus with that task, with that burden, with that responsibility. And one of the ways that Jesus revealed God the Father to us was through stories, was through parables. In fact, Pastor Sean just read one of those stories to us from Luke 15. Uh, this is the story or the parable of the lost son. Uh, sometimes this is called the parable of the prodigal son. Of course, that term prodigal is a term that we only use uh, referring to this story. Uh, that word prodigal means to spend lavishly, to spend wild, wildly, to spend foolishly, to spend wastefully. And so this is about a son that, that does just that, that spends foolishly, and the a son that finds himself lost. And so I want to take some time to looking at this, this story, this parable, because in my opinion, this one short story so perfectly describes for us the dynamic between God and, and humankind and the way that he loves us and the way that he sees us, the way that he loves us as a perfect father. And so let's take a look at some of the details of this story. But before we do that, we need to set the stage. And so here's what was going on uh, in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus was spending some time with a group of people uh, referred to simply as sinners, okay? Uh, now, that term sinners has a very broad and general definition. Uh, again, if you look to what uh, the Bible has to say, um, all of us are sinners, all fall short of God's glory. I mean, that's not exactly great news, but it's, it's the truth of what Scripture tells us, that we're all sinners and that we all fall short of God's standard. Uh, but when you see that term sinners used in the Gospels, in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, that term is referring to a very specific group of people. Uh, these were people who were Jewish by their ethnicity, but they had given up on their religion. Okay, They had not necessarily given up on God, but they had given up on their religion. Okay, Quick side note, giving up on your religion 
isn't always a bad thing, all right? Depends on how you define religion, but that's, that's a sermon for another day. Anyway, so when you see this term sinners used in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this refers to Jewish people who had given up on their religion. Uh, they were no longer observing the rituals um, that the Jews observed, uh, no longer um, obeying uh, the laws that God had given them uh, concerning the sacrificial system and when they were supposed to bring their sacrifices to the temple. They were no longer observing the holidays that God gave them, and so they were just basically Jews that were done with their religion. Jesus spent a lot of time with sinners, with people like that. And time and time again, this is something that, that created some issues for people who viewed themselves as being righteous. And so you've got the sinners on one hand, but then you have people who are righteous. These were Jews who in their own eyes saw themselves as being righteous because they were engaging in the rituals. They were abiding by their own religious customs. They were observing the sacrifices. They were observing the holidays. And at least from an external perspective, right, an external perspective, they were doing all the right stuff. Now, what was going on inside, what was going on in their hearts is a completely different story. But you had these so-called righteous people who were doing all the external stuff of their religion, okay? And so when these so-called righteous people would see Jesus, who was supposed to be a man of God, when they saw Jesus interacting with sinners, these self-righteous people, these righteous people, they're righteous in their own eyes, they were very offended by this. I mean, to the point of being outraged. They thought this was absolutely inappropriate because they had this understanding that you had to keep yourself clean, and if you were going to keep yourself spiritually clean, you could not interact with sinners. You especially could not sit down and share a meal with a sinner. And so this was an ongoing issue that Jesus had to deal with. He'd spend his time with sinners, and then the so-called righteous people would, would take issue with that and give him a hard time about that. In fact, at one point, Jesus says to the so-called righteous people, says, look, guys, this is how it works. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And that's exactly, that's true, isn't it? You know, Jesus spent his time with sinners because these were people who were perhaps far from God, and he wanted to draw these people back toward God, to be closer to God, to give them an understanding of, of just how much God cares for them. And so here's Jesus, before he tells this story, he's spending his time with the quote-unquote sinners, and the so-called righteous people come along, and they take issue with this. And so, in response to, to this conflict between the righteous people and the sinners, Jesus tells a series of stories. Not just one, but a series of parables. And this, the parable of the lost son, is one of those stories. And so he tells a story, and in this story there are three main characters. There is the father and his two sons. Now I'm just going to tell you as we, as we enter into this story who all these characters represent, okay? The father in this story represents God, okay? So the father in the story is God. The eldest son, okay, the older brother, represents the righteous people, or the so-called righteous people. The younger son represents the sinners, okay? And so that's a little bit of an oversimplification, but for our purposes today, uh, just know that basically the father represents God. I mean, he really does. He does represent God. Uh, the older brother, the older son, represents the righteous people, the so-called righteous people. The younger brother represents the sinners, okay? For our purposes today, we're going to focus on the plot line 
between the father and the younger son, okay? Uh, we're going to focus on that today. What happens with the older brother is a story for another day. And so here's what happens. This younger son goes to his father and asks for his inheritance early. He says to his dad, listen, Pop, we know how this works, all right? One day you're going to die, and when that day comes, I will finally get my share of your stuff. So, Dad, can we just expedite this whole thing? Can I just have my share of your stuff now? And so, at face value for a modern audience, this is, of course, uh, inappropriate, to say the least. Um, but for Christ's original audience, as they heard this part of the story, I mean, this was shocking. This was so inappropriate and so rude. I mean, essentially what this younger son is saying to the father is, I'd rather you were dead and I was rich, okay? I'm tired of waiting around for you to die. I just want your stuff. I just want my share of your stuff. We both know what's coming to me, so just give it to me now. Give me my inheritance now so I can leave your house, so I can sever my relationship with you, never have to see you again. I won't have to live by your rules anymore. I won't have to live under your roof, so I don't have to live, or live by your rules. And let me go live my life the way I want to with the money that you're going to give me. That's what I want. So this was incredibly rude and hurtful and, and complicated too because um, it's not as if the father could say, okay, sure, let me give you your share now and just write a check. Um, it was much more complicated than that. So here's what happens. Um, the father in this story, for some reason, says yes to the son. says, okay, you want your share now? I will give it to you. And so for reasons that aren't fully explained, um, the father says, sure, you want out of my house? You want to end this relationship? You just want some money? We can, we can arrange that. And so, like I said, it's not as simple as just writing a check. The father, what he has to do is he has to sell off his stuff. He has to sell a portion of his property because in those days, um, a person's wealth, at least the bulk of it, wasn't kept at a bank. It was kept in their property, kept in their, in their livestock and in their land. And so this man has to sell his stuff. And what we learn contextually from this story is that this must have been a very, very wealthy man. And so he has to make all these arrangements he sells his possessions, he sells his stuff to give this younger son his share of the inheritance. And so what does this younger son do with all this newfound wealth? Does he invest it? Does he spend it wisely? Does he use it wisely? Does he start a little business for himself? Does he buy some land? And No, he wastes it, okay? Now, this is a story that we've seen played out over history when someone inherits, uh, inherits someone else's wealth and they just, they just squander it. It's a very sad story when you see that unfold. And so that's what happens here. Takes all this wealth, takes all this money, and he just, he wastes it. Now, we don't know the details of the story. Jesus doesn't give us all, all the information here. I mean, how did this man, how did this father acquire all this wealth? Did he start his own business from scratch and he he works himself up to this point and sacrifice after sacrifice leads to success finally and, and there he's got this money and he gives it to this younger son and it's just, it's wasted. And what is it wasted on? It's wasted on partying and drinking and revelry. That's a fun word, revelry, right? And he spends it on women and he spends it on stuff and he wastes and wastes, okay, you know, another round on me. And he goes, he burns through all this money. 
finds himself completely broke at the worst possible time because Jesus tells us that at this point in time, he's out of money and a famine breaks out across the land. Of course, when there's a famine in an agricultural society, the whole economy takes a downturn. And so he finds himself during a famine without any food, without any money, and he needs to get himself a job. And so he does. He finds a man to work for, and this man that he works for is almost certainly a Gentile man, so he's working for a Gentile, and he is working feeding pigs. Now, for a Jew, and remember, Christ's original audience, as he's telling this story, uh, they were all Jews, and so uh, pigs were viewed as being unclean. Taking care of pigs was an unclean practice, and, and to feed pigs was, was very unclean. It was a loathsome, disgusting thing to do. And so here is this younger son, wasted the gift, the blessing that his father gave him, wasted it, sitting with the pigs, feeding them this pig slop. And he looks down and he sees an empty pod, maybe a pea pod, okay? No peas left in it, just the pod. Sees this empty shell of, of a thing and says, oh, I just wish, I wish I could eat that. And that is what you may call rock bottom, okay? This is when this son finds himself at rock bottom. And at rock bottom, he comes to his senses. That's what the scripture tells us. Luke 15, chapter 17, it says, when he came to his senses. So there he is, sitting with the pigs, hungry, wishing he could eat the pig slop, and he comes to his senses. And what does he realize? It says, when he came to his senses, Luke 15, 17, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. And what he realizes in that moment is that his father is a good man. His father takes care, not just of his family, not just of the sons, but he takes such good care of his servants that they have more than enough food on their tables. And that's really what he really, what this son realizes in that rock bottom moment, is just how good his father is. I mean, think of what this son is going through, how foolish he was to leave his father's house. In his father's house, he was so well taken care of and he just took it for granted. And now he's at this place where he realizes, man, my dad was so great, he even cared after the hired servants with such tenderness and such love and such care. And so he comes up with a plan. He says, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so this is a decision that this son makes and this decision is, is difficult. Um, this is, is in many ways brave to come to this decision. And, and also very humbling to say, I've got to go back home to my father. I have to return to my father. And I have to confess my wrongdoing before him. You know, let's, let's not pretend that I didn't sin. I've got to be honest with my sins. I've got to level with my dad and tell him, yeah, I messed up and I know it. I'm not making excuses for my behavior. I'm fully acknowledging that I messed up. I did wrong. I sinned before heaven and before you, dad. I sinned. I have to go back to my father and I have to confess these things to him and I have to plead with him, please, dad, 
take me back into your home. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Just please consider making me like one of your hired servants. And so that requires, again, requires courage and humility to get to that place. And you know, this younger son, he's correct. He really is no longer worthy to be called a son by the father. He's just not. He has broken, severely broken that relationship. I mean, he started out by saying, Dad, I'd rather you were dead and I was rich. I don't want to live in your house anymore. I don't, I don't value our relationship. I just want your stuff and I want to leave. And then he takes that stuff and he squanders it. He's correct. He is no longer worthy to be called a son. And so this young man, he leaves the pig slop. And he's, I imagine him covered with dirt. And he just makes that long journey back home. He's got to walk back home. And here's what that younger son doesn't know. Apparently, here's what we learn from the context of the story. Apparently, the entire time that this son has been gone, his father has been waiting and watching for his return. It says this, Luke 15, verse 20. So he got up, this is the younger son, he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. How did he see him? Because he was watching for him. He was standing there by the window, peeking through the blinds, right? Standing on the porch, pacing back and forth, waiting, waiting and watching for his son to return. Even though this son said, Dad, I'm done with you. Give me your money. I'm done. He was hoping and waiting Maybe my son will return. Maybe he'll change his mind. Maybe he will value our relationship. Maybe he'll, he'll love me. Maybe he'll come back. And he's been waiting and waiting and watching. And so the scripture tells us, while this son was still a long way off, his father saw him and he was filled with compassion. Not filled with anger. What's this guy doing back here? He better not be asking for more, more money. How dare he show his face around here? No, he is filled with compassion filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son. Now, I have to point this out, that men back in those days, especially dignified men, they did not run because that was undignified. I mean, children would run, sometimes young women would run, but in those days, a, a man, an established man, a landowner would not run. I mean, it wasn't dignified. You'd have to bunch up your robes and kind of waddle, run your way. It just, it wasn't dignified. But this father doesn't care about that. He's just thrilled to see his son. So he picks up his robes and he waddle runs his way over. He runs. He's filled with his compassion. And he throws his arms around his son and he kisses him. And so the son can barely get out this speech. I mean, he's been rehearsing this speech. Father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but please make me one. Father, I confess that I've sinned. He can barely get out his speech. The son says to him, verse 21, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He doesn't get to finish his speech. The father interrupts. Verse 22, but the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they begin to celebrate. And what does the father do? He says, son, son. He still views this young man as his 
son. He receives this young man home as his son. And what does the son say? I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father says, no, my son, you were as good as dead, but now you're alive. You were lost, but now you are found. This is our God. This is the God that we believe in, serve, and worship. The God that is eager to forgive. We believe in, serve, and worship the God that is eager to forgive. He's eager to forgive us. He's eager to forgive you. And when we fall away from him, when we sever our relationship with him, when we just try to take blessings from him and then depart, he's still, he wants to see a restoration of that relationship. And he's eager to forgive because he loves us. He wants to see that restoration so that we can move forward in our relationship together. The God that we believe in, serve, and worship is the God that is eager to forgive. But there's something very important. There's something that precedes forgiveness. There's something that needs to happen first, and that is repentance. Now, I know that word, repentance, is a very Christian-y word, but it's also a beautiful word, and it refers to something very, very poignant and very beautiful. Repentance is more than just saying you're sorry. It's more than just, just an empty apology. Repentance, it's more than just regret. Repentance is saying, I don't want to do this kind of thing anymore, but, but more than that, I don't want to be this kind of person anymore. I need to change who I am. I was doing these wrong things. I was engaging in this, this wrong behavior. I had these wrong attitudes, and I don't want to be that kind of person anymore, right? That's what repentance looks like. I'll give you an example of repentance. Um, think of it this way. You know, every year uh, for the past few years, our church has been able to participate in the um, annual overdose awareness walk. And um, that's a cause that's very important to us. Um, but so many of you out there, you know what it's like to see a loved one struggling with addiction. But there are these wonderful positive stories. When you see someone hit that rock bottom place in their addiction and they make that decision, I can't do this anymore. I can't be this anymore and they get themselves sober, and they get themselves clean, and they make a new life for themselves. You see, that's what repentance looks like. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to be this person anymore. That's repentance, and that is exemplified in this younger son. He gets himself to that place. He's not making excuses for his behavior. Listen, Dad, I didn't know any better. Can you write me another check? You know, can you give me some more money? Can you sell some more of your stuff? I won't mess up this time. No big deal. I mean, whatever. It was a famine. It's not my fault. No, 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 no. That's not repentance. This is repentance. He knows. He's not making excuses. He's not pretending. Pretending, well, I didn't do anything wrong. It's just circumstances got the best of me. He's not pretending. He's not hiding. I mean, to repent, that requires honesty and humility, to be honest with yourself. And humility, be able to say, you know what? I messed up. I'm not making excuses for it. I really and truly did mess up. And to go before Father God and to confess and say, I sinned before you. I sinned. And I'm truly, truly regret that. And I don't want to be that kind of person anymore. That's what repentance looks like. And where there is repentance, there will be 
forgiveness. So let me ask you a very personal question. Where in your life do you need to repent? I don't know. I mean, maybe you don't. I, I don't know. I don't know your story. Is there something going on in your life right now? Is there something going on in your heart right now? Is there some kind of fracture in your relationship with your Heavenly Father? Some kind of attitude that you have or some kind of behavior that you regularly engage in that you know is wrong? It's not wise. It's not beneficial. You're hurting yourself. You're hurting others. What's going on in your life right now? Do you need to repent? Do you need to repent of a certain behavior, a certain action, a certain attitude? Is something going on in your life right now where you need that repentance? Something that you're doing that you know is causing a strain on your relationship with God. Are you ready? Are you ready to get honest with yourself? And can you access that level of humility where you can say, you know what? This is wrong. This needs to change. Do you need to repent? Do you need to do that? Is there some kind of strain in your relationship with God? Are you prepared? Are you ready to stop making excuses for that behavior? Right, to let it go and start a new chapter of your life. Really become a new person. Turning over, turning that page, becoming a new person. Giving up the old you to become a new you. Like I said, I don't know your story. I'm just wondering. This is a question for you to ask yourself. You don't have to answer me question for you to ask yourself is there something in your life that need that you need to repent of here's what we know once we repent we will be forgiven and once we are forgiven we can enter into a relationship with God that is whole unstrained and unbroken we can seek forgiveness knowing that our father God is eager to forgive. This is the God we worship at Hope Community Church, the God that is eager to forgive. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for being a perfect father. We thank you for your compassion. We thank you for your grace. Father God, all of us, every single one of us, whether we think that we're, we're righteous or, or not, we, we've all messed up. Whether we view ourselves as being religious or not, we've all made mistakes. We've all fallen short of your glory. And we know that, that we, don't be, we don't deserve to be considered your children, yet, Father God, you desire to claim us as your own, to claim us as your children. And so for all of us right now that need to repent, I, I just pray, God, that you would give us the strength to come before you in prayer and ask your forgiveness and seek that forgiveness from you. And Father God, I thank you in advance for extending that forgiveness to all of us right now, to everyone watching, to everyone listening. Thank you for extending that forgiveness. Father God, allow us to take that next step forward in our relationship with you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.